My name is Jake George, and I have the privilege of serving as an elder at our church. And this is what Romans 1.16 says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekend services here at Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you're here with us this weekend. Whether you're here in the West service or you're over in East service or you're watching online, thanks for spending some time with us. And you, you picked a great week to be here as we launch the beginning of our new sermon series that'll take us through the fall. We're calling it 10 Sentences to Change your life. We're looking at 10 sentences in the book of Romans, which is a book of massive importance in the New Testament for shaping what we understand it means to be a Christian, we understand what it means to be the church. I can't wait to spend 10 weeks in Romans uh, growing with you. And that is what we're praying for. We're praying for this fall to be a season of growth. And to that end, there are a couple of unique things about this sermon series I want to make sure you catch. Uh, The first is that I wanted you to notice that our scripture reader this week uh, was Jake George, one of our elders. Uh, Every week in this sermon series, the scripture reading will be done by one of our nine elders, one of the nine men who helped to lead this church. I want you to notice that because I want you to know who they are. I want you to see them. I want you to see their passion for Jesus, for the Bible, and for that to come through in their reading. That way, if you see them in the hallway, you can stop and say, hey, thanks for serving the church. And you can even give them a grade on how they did reading scripture, which some of you will really look forward to, I'm sure. The other thing I want you to notice is that I have things on stage here with me. That's intentional because uh, the one thing that's going to be unique about this sermon series is that all of the sermons will include an outline. That's typical for us. But at the end of that sermon will be a challenge or, or you might think of it as an opportunity. Because this fall is a season of growth, uh, we're not just preaching, but preaching particularly to push us to grow in our relationship with God. So following every sermon will be a challenge or an opportunity for you to put that sermon into practice this week. And so I'll get to all this in just a minute. I also want to let you know that I spent some time this week with Pastor Joe, our lead pastor, who's been on sabbatical, and that sabbatical is coming to an end here in the next couple of weeks. And I just want you to know he loves you, and he misses you, and he's excited to be back, excited to preach. I took that a little personally, to be honest, but uh, no, I'm, I, I, no one here is more excited for Joe to be back than, than me. I can't wait to see him, and I just want you to know that he's thinking about you and missing you and eager to be back. Hey, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, would you open it to Romans chapter 1, verse 16? If you don't have a Bible or you prefer to use your phone, would you take that out and, and open Google, Romans 1, 16, open the Bible app, get there. If you're watching online, Go ahead and open that web browser and type in Romans 1.16 and get there with us. Now, as you're turning to our sentence for this week, let me offer you the outline I'm going to use to make sense of the passage in front of us. Three points, and they go like this. A reason to be honest, a reason to be encouraged, and a reason to be courageous. Okay, a reason to be honest, a reason to be encouraged, and a reason to be courageous. Let's start with the first one, a reason to be honest. You'll notice that the Apostle Paul, one of the founders of the early church, a man who wrote 
almost the entire New Testament, not quite, but almost a huge chunk of the New Testament who started many of the churches that form the audience of the New Testament begins this verse in an unusual way. Romans 1.16, this is what he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For I am not ashamed by the message of Christianity. I'm not ashamed by the message of Jesus. That's an unusual thing for Paul to say. After all, this is a man who will give his life to the work of the ministry and for the work of the ministry. He will eventually die for his faith and he'll have spent much of his life teaching and preaching and sharing about Jesus. So when I read this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, I'm, I'm tempted to say, well, yeah, of course, of course not. You're Paul. Why would you be ashamed? I don't need you to tell me that. I know you are not ashamed. But I actually think Paul is letting us into something that is true for him and true for us. In the words of one theologian I read this week, you can only declare, I am not ashamed, if you have felt the temptation to be ashamed. Otherwise, it's not worth saying. If there's no temptation to be ashamed, if there's no temptation to be embarrassed, you wouldn't declare that. It would be like if I stood up and I said, I am not ashamed to be married to my wife. You would say, well, even the fact that you have to say that, Zach, is a little disconcerting. (laughs) Right? So when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he is saying, hey, I have felt the temptation to be ashamed. I have felt the temptation to be embarrassed. I know what it is to struggle to be known as or to share your faith in Jesus, to be known as a Christian, to share your faith in Jesus. I I am not ashamed, but I have felt that. By the way, Jesus knew we would feel that in the Gospels. He speaks often about the temptation to disassociate with him, the temptation to be embarrassed by him, to be ashamed of him. And I bet that you have felt that temptation too. I know I have. And that's why I start this point with a reason to be honest. I want you to notice I don't say a reason to be discouraged, a a reason to feel bad, a reason to, to feel as though you should feel shame, a reason for your pastor to be mad at you. I didn't say that, just a reason to be honest. I think most of us who are Christians would say, would say our Christianity is marked more by missed opportunities to talk about Jesus than it is by opportunities we've seized upon to talk about Jesus. It is tempting to be embarrassed or, or to be ashamed or to disassociate from the Christian message. Paul felt that. That's why he declares this. It is interesting that the original language, when Paul says, I am not ashamed, that word he uses for ashamed is actually can be translated offended. I am not offended. Paul understands that the danger we feel is that if we were to share our belief in Jesus, if we were to share our faith in the Christian message, it would not go well for us. We would be offended by the way people respond to us, by the way people perceive us, we would lose reputation. We would lose status. We might even lose friends. In fact, when I was growing up in church, I think this fear of losing was often the reason people cited for why they did not talk about Jesus. It was maybe two reasons given when I was growing up in the church. And if you think about it, they both make sense. The first one was that religion was a very private thing. 
That what a person believed about God and about their relationship with God was in that category of subject matters you just didn't talk about. It was impolite. That was between them and God. That was a private corner of their lives, a private corner of your life, and you weren't supposed to bring that out into public. And the second reason people said they didn't share their faith in Jesus was because they didn't want to offend someone. After all, pulling out a private topic and bringing it into the public is only going to hurt someone's feelings. It's only going to result in having to say to someone what they think is wrong or what you think is better. And so the idea was that this is private and we don't want to offend anyone. But I can tell you with 100% certainty that nothing sounds more different than our current culture. Because after all, I'm quite clear on what many of you think I ought to do in terms of being vaccinated or not being vaccinated. I know what most people around me think in terms of whether I ought to wear a mask or whether I ought not to wear a mask. I know who most of you think I should have voted for for president or who I shouldn't have voted for, how I ought to respond to issues of racial injustice or how I ought not to respond. Now, every one of those topics is incredibly private, and certainly, I can promise you, every one of those topics is likely to offend, and yet we are not bashful at all about sharing about those. So I think what we have to do is ask ourselves this. Why is it that the one matter that seems to be private and the one topic we seem to not want to give offense on is Jesus? It's okay to offend someone about a mask or a vaccine or who they voted for or how they respond to current events, but not Jesus. Now, I think it's right in studying this sentence to just begin with this. If we're honest, we often find ourselves ashamed or embarrassed or uncomfortable or offended or scared of what it would look like to talk about Jesus. That leads me to my second point, which is to say, let me offer you a reason to be encouraged. Because after all, the goal of my first point wasn't to make you feel bad. It was just to say, let's all be honest. It's not easy. It's hard. It's difficult. And so let's go looking for, number two, a reason to be encouraged. In fact, when I read Romans 1.16 and Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, I find myself leaning in. Well, Paul, sometimes I am. So what's your secret? What do you know that I don't know? What, what have you grabbed hold of that I need to grab hold of? How come you are so unashamed? And I think if we look at this sentence, even though it is only one sentence, we will find five different things that Paul tells us encourage him to be unashamed of the gospel. Five different things. So if you're a note taker, I would love for you to write these down. If you're not a note taker, I would love for you to quickly become one and to write these five things down. And can I just say this? If you're here and you're not yet a Christian. If you're watching in East, you're watching online, you're not yet a Christian, I really want you to zero in on this. Okay, this is the part of the sermon that's for you. Five things that Paul says gives him courage. Number one, number one, it's good news. It's good news. Look at what he says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now that word gospel literally in the original language means good news. Paul is saying, one of the reasons I'm not ashamed to talk about Jesus is what I have to say about Jesus is 
good news. And good news is fun to share. Now, I want you to notice that it is really instructive in your understanding of Christianity that the way Christianity understands itself is as good news. Because when you understand that, what you see is that it is unlike any other religion in the world. Because every other religion in the world has a good path, a good procedure, a good strategy, a list of good deeds. In other words, every other religion in the world, the emphasis is on you and what you do. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I might say, hey, I have a good strategy for how you can take care of your lawn. I have a good philosophy on how you can raise your children. But the problem in that strategy or philosophy or path is that the emphasis is on me and whether or not I get the job done. The difference between a good path and good news is who is doing what is being done. Paul says that Christianity is good news. In other words, Christianity is a message about something good that has already been done. It is not advice. It is not a path. It is not a strategy, which means if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you can literally become one today. Because there's not a path you have to walk down. There's not a procedure. There's not a list of rules you have to keep, a list of activities you have to undertake. It is simply good news. It is the telling of something that has already happened. The second thing I want you to see is that it's good news about Jesus. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, in the original translations, the very early English translations of Romans 1.16, they would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you might notice in modern translations, that phrase is not there. That's because it isn't there in the original language. The Greek doesn't say of Jesus Christ. It's implied And what the original English writers were doing is they were just bringing out, making explicit what Paul makes implicit. It's not just good news, it's good news about Jesus. Paul, by the way, will say this over and over and over again in the book of Romans and in the New Testament. It's good news about what Jesus has already done. Because after all, the epicenter of the Christian message is not what I do or what you do. It's not about the decisions I make or the decisions you make. The epicenter of the Christian religion is what Jesus has already done. Because it goes like this. Jesus, the perfect son of God, was born to a virgin. And he lived on this world always utterly, completely obeying God. Never stepping outside of the law of God. Never embarrassing God. Never disobeying God. Never ignoring God. In other words, he lived the way you and I have not and could not. And yet, he went to the cross. And on the cross, God took all the sins of the church. All the things that his people have ever done or ever said or ever not done and not said. And he put them on Jesus And then God took his anger as though he had a bucket of anger and he dumped it on to Jesus and he shook it till every drop was out and Jesus became the sufferer under the anger of God for my sin and for yours. So that when Jesus died, not only was he dead, the anger of God had been exhausted. 
And then he's laid in the tomb and three days later he raises from the dead and Jesus says, see, there is no more anger from God over your sin. Grab hold of me, grab hold of me in faith. Believe that I have lived in your place and died in your place and I will take you with me to God in heaven and he will be happy to see you, not angry to see you because there is no anger for you left. That is the good news of Christianity. It is good news, not about what you could do, or you might do, or you have done, but about what Jesus has already done. Therefore, to become a Christian is not to accomplish, it's to respond to what has been accomplished by Jesus. So Paul says, that's really good news. Why why am I not ashamed? Because it's good news about what Jesus has done. Here's the third thing, and it changes people. Look at what he says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Now, I don't have time to nerd out on this for you, but I want you to notice that it doesn't say it is a form of the power of God. It is the vehicle of the power of God. It unlocks the power of God. No, no, no. Look what he says. For it is the power of God. In other words, the message of Jesus is literally, not figuratively. I know most of us don't understand the word literally. We misuse it all the time. I don't, your head doesn't literally feel like it's splitting in two, okay? That's a bad understanding. But I am saying literally, the gospel of Jesus is the power of God. It changes people. It shapes people. It takes people from who they used to be to who they're becoming. It changes families. It changes marriages. It changes children. It changes parents. It changes finances. It changes worldviews. It changes philosophies. It shapes and it molds. It destroys and it creates. It is the power of God. In other words, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. And you know why I'm not ashamed? Because it's good news about what Jesus has done. And when someone hears it and believes in it, it changes them. Plus, I've been all over the world. I've seen this happen. I've seen people be changed. I've seen people be shaped. And here's the fourth thing he says. You know why it changes people? Because it changes their relationship to God. Look at what he says. I really, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I just really think this next two minutes could change your life if you let it, okay? So lock in with me here. Look at what he says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. In other words, he says it is powerful in that it changes our relationship to God. It rescues us. It saves us. From what? From what? Well, the Bible tells us that we are born And we are rebels to God. We are disobedient to God. We disregard him. We disobey him. And therefore, we are enemies of God. This is true of every one of us. And one day we'll stand before God in his judgment. And that will not go well for us. There's nothing we could say. There's nothing we could offer. There's no evidence we could give that will escape the judgment of God. But Jesus lived in our place and died in our place and rose from the dead so that when we stand before God in judgment, Jesus will stand in between us and God and say, when you see them, you should see me. And we go from enemies of God to children of God, from enemies of God to friends of God. And see, when that happens, We go back to step three. When that happens, it changes everything about us because here's what happens. When you begin to believe that God loves you so much that he does not want to judge you 
And to avoid having to judge you, he sent his own son to stand in your place. And he, and he, and he poured out his anger on him and he rose him from the dead so that you might be rescued from his judgment. When you begin to see that God loves you that much, then you begin to say, well, a God who loves me that much would only want to help me, would never want to hurt me. So what does he say about marriage? What does he say about dating? What does he say about money? What does he say about children? A God who is for me in that way, a God who loves me that much, what does he say? Because I know he only wants the best for me. Listen, that's the power of Christianity. When you begin to believe that God loves you and that he's proven his love in the most amazing way ever, that he wouldn't, he would leverage everything and has leveraged everything that he is and everything that he has for you, then you begin to crave his voice and his authority in your life and you begin to change. Listen, that's why, and and I'm just gonna say something It might make lunch a little weird, okay? But that's why if the Christians you are around, if you do not see this kind of power in their lives, if you do not see them eagerly welcoming the voice of God in their lives because they're so utterly convinced that he loves them because of Jesus, then do not use their Christianity as the template you use to make a decision about Christianity. Find someone who would say to you, my entire story reoriented when I met Jesus because Paul says that's what it actually means to be a Christian. He says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not offended. I'm not embarrassed because this is good news about what Jesus has done. I've seen it change people because it changes their relationship with God. Listen to me, friend. Listen to me. Maybe even last night you laid tossing and turning in bed saying, God, are you out there? God, do you even care? It feels like you're not listening. I feel so disconnected from you. And the Bible says you are right to feel disconnected. You were born disconnected. But God has sent his own son to live in your place and die in your place and raise from the dead in order that he, not you, he might connect with you. Grab hold of him, believe in him. And even now you will go from an enemy of God. So too was I, by the way. You will go from an enemy of God to a child of God like that. Because it is not about what you do, but about what he has already done. And then here's the fifth thing. I know you say, I know you say, well, that sounds really good. Not for me though. That's not for me. But Paul anticipates that. He says, here's the fifth thing that encourages me. It's good news about what Jesus has done. It changes people because it changes their relationship with God. Here's the fifth thing. It's for everyone. Look at what he says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. By the way, the Jew and Greek, that's just the ethnic divide of his day. He could have said to the liberal and the conservative, to the Republican and the Democrat, to the mask wearing and the non-mask wearing, to the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. He could have said to the black, to the white, to the Asian, to the Hispanic, to the man, to the woman, to the married, to the single, to the rich, to the poor, to the Hudson, to the Stowe, even Twinsburg. He could have said that. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. It's for you. You watch it online. It's for you. It's for you. To everyone. Paul says, 
How can I be ashamed of this? This is good news about what Jesus has done. It changes people. It changes their relationship with God. And Paul says, I will never meet a person for whom this message is not available. Now listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you hear what Paul's saying? is that he feels the temptation we all feel to stay quiet about our faith. But when he wants to be encouraged to share it, do you know what he does? He goes back to the basics. You never outgrow these five things. This is it. This is the core. This is the message. Don't be offended by its simplicity. When you find yourself no longer eager to talk about Jesus, go back to these things. What is it I believe? That there's good news about what Jesus has done that changes people, that's changed me, that's changed my relationship with God. It's for everyone. It's for that family member that you're thinking about. It's for that friend that's on your heart. It's for that coworker that God's been nudging you towards. It's for them. Let me get to my third point, which is to say a reason to be courageous. You might have picked up on this, but these five things are linear. They're, they're narrative. There's a story to them, if you think about it. Okay? I heard good news about Jesus that changed me because it changed my relationship with God, and I couldn't believe it was for me. Do you see the story in it? So when Paul goes back to these five things, where do you think he's going back to? Well, if you know the New Testament, you know the answer to that. He's going back to the book of Acts on the road to Damascus. And he's saying, I'm not ashamed of these things because this is not just a story. It's my story. Don't you see that's what he's saying? He's saying, I was a Jewish guy. I was a religious zealot, a religious extremist. I believe that God only loved Jewish people and he only loved the Jewish people who kept all the rules. So I worked my entire life to do that. I even kept the rules up to the point of murdering people. I was okay with that. Rule breakers and non-Jewish rule breakers especially deserved to die. That's who I was. And then what happened? I heard good news. Good news about what? Good news that it actually wasn't rule-keeping that justified you to God, that it wasn't actually just Jewish people that he loved. I heard good news that God had loved me so much, he had already done everything necessary to welcome me into relationship with him through Jesus. And that changed my fundamental understanding of God, and that changed me. Therefore, I went from Paul, religious extremist looking to kill, to Paul, religious extremist looking to preach grace to every single person that I met. Then Paul says, what really struck me is that it was for everyone, even me. After all, he will write in later in a letter to a young mentee, Timothy, he will say, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Jesus came to die for sinners of whom I am the worst. I am chief. It was even for me. In other words, Paul says, when I am tempted to be ashamed, I don't just go back to the orthodox theological understanding of the gospel. I look back on my own story and I say, is this true? Does this work? Does this change people? Yes, because it has changed me. Listen, brother or sister in Christ, is that not true for you? 
But what irony it is that we would come and sing about the amazing things that God has done and is doing and will do for us and in us and through us, through Jesus, but then be ashamed to talk about Jesus tomorrow. Do we believe that he's done these things for us? Have you not changed? Is your story not being rewritten? Is your family not being reformed? Is your marriage not being strengthened? Is your purpose not being reclaimed? Paul says, when I wonder, when I struggle, when I'm tempted to be ashamed, to be offended, to be quiet, I remember what God has done for me. In other words, let me get to your challenge or your opportunity for this week. Anytime a pastor talks about talking to people about Jesus, and that's what I'm talking about, spoiler alert, in case you didn't realize it, you, this is what you're worried I'm going to say, right? I'm not going to use this, by the way. Don't freak out. I don't need any help being loud, as you know. But this is what you think I say. You think what I have in mind is you standing on the street corner or maybe climbing the clock tower in Hudson and saying, this message is brought to you by Christ Community Chapel. Repent! It's like the verbal form of those signs when you're driving down 71. Hell is real! As though anybody pulls over on the highway and goes, shoot, hell is real? That is not what I mean. Listen, listen, this is not what I mean. Do you know what I mean? I mean this. I mean sitting down with someone over a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, if you're okay with it, something stronger, like espresso. (laughs) And saying, hey, can I tell you what God has done in my life through Jesus. Can I share my story with you? Friends, Paul was not ashamed because he had been doing that all over the known world and he had seen amazing things happen. Here's what I believe. This week, take God up on what he's saying here. Receive your challenge. Receive your opportunity. Sit down with a friend. Look them in their eye and say, I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you my story. This is my story. I met Jesus. I heard good news about what Jesus has done for me. It changed how I understood God. It has changed me. And it's for you too, if you want it. Here's what I believe. If you do that, God will show up. And when he shows up, you will say, I am no longer ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Let's pray together. Father God, give us courage this week, courage that does not emanate from us, not from us. It's not summoned up, it's not mustered up. Courage that emanates from you, who you are and what you've done, how we have tasted and we have seen that you are a great God who saves, who sanctifies, who changes. May we share that. And Holy Spirit, may you cash the check that I just wrote that when these brothers and sisters have those conversations, show up and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.